Amen. Well, that is going to be the fundamental uh, title of the messages for these next three Sundays now. The, really, it is from the question of this, what is Jesus doing now? I don't know about you, but there's a big lead up to Easter for me. I, I just, I really love, I mean, Easter is, is without a doubt the most important uh, celebration in the Christian calendar. For those who know and love Christ, Easter is what it's about, right? I mean, I, I'm, I love Christmas and it was the birth of Christ and that's significant, but if he'd been born and had never died to pay for our sins, it would have been just another really awesome story, right? But Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. He died, he was in the grave, and he actually literally came out again. And that's what we celebrated last week. And sometimes I think the question is, yeah, but now what? What's he doing now? I mean, that's awesome. And he went back to heaven and those images were of that. He, he came and he spoke to his disciples and he went back to heaven. And so now what? What is it that we can learn about Jesus? So for the next three Sundays, we're going to talk about that. But I want to begin today by hopefully helping you to exalt your impression of who Jesus is. The title of the message is The Risen Christ is Awesome. We use that word really freely, right? We had a great day yesterday. Our block party was really good. We had, uh, I think, uh, maybe 120 people here, but a third of the people that were here were people that aren't from Coastal. They were visitors from our community. I'm super excited about that, and we were really glad to have them here. And uh, so we had a chance to just build some relationships, have some good conversations with them. I would say it was an awesome day. But I use that word very carefully, right? Because we go out and, you know, we go to... I don't know, Ruth's Christ or wherever your favorite steakhouse is, and we say, man, that steak was awesome, right? Not really. It was just a piece of beef that was grilled really well, right? It wasn't, there's nothing awesome about it. It was, they can cook them really well, you know, but so I, I want you to remember that Jesus really, truly is awesome, so a lot of you have traveled, some of you in the military, some of you for business, some of you uh, because you just love the joy of travel, and, and many of us have been to various places in the world. So there's one, one place in the States that's really pretty awesome, right? If you're going to visit from another country, probably you'd want to go to the Grand Canyon. It's pretty amazing. And uh, they have this thing out there at one of the rims of the Grand Canyon that is glass, the, the walk, right? Any, have any of you ever been actually on that thing? I was looking at it online the other day. There we go. There's somebody has been on it. it. I've got butterflies looking at the pictures on my computer, right? This thing is, is just a big circular glass walkway with glass walls, and you walk out over at the edge of the Grand Canyon. It's like I don't know, miles or a mile above the Colorado River. And it's like 700 feet to the nearest hard surface. So, I mean, you are out in the middle of the air looking down at this incredible thing that God has done anyway in the Grand Canyon. It, I would imagine you'd go out there and say, this is awesome. My goal today is for you to do that with Jesus, to remember he's awesome I want, our, I want our attention to be focused on who Jesus is. And to do that, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 1. There's some really significant verses here, and I think they will be helpful in us making that happen. 
John, what's happening here in the, the book of the Revelation is the Apostle John, who is, this is probably in the ballpark of 95 AD, and he has been exiled due to persecution on the Isle of Patmos. It's just a little tiny island that he was sent there to just be away from everybody else and die in isolation and loneliness. And while he was there, God came to him, Jesus came to him and revealed to him what was to come. And from that experience, we have the book of the Revelation. And he was told, write this stuff down. So it is for our benefit. And we're going to learn a lot of things. Write down what you see. But what he begins with is his reaction. He's there on the Isle of Patmos, and, and the scripture says, I was there, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. So this is a Sunday morning, much like we have here, except he's all by himself, isolated and on this island, and he hears a noise behind him. And he turns around, and he describes what he sees in verse 16. Excuse me, let me back up and say that's verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. I want to stop there for a minute. And I want you to think about this thing. This is, this is a description of Jesus who is awesome. Why is that? I, I, think, I think the symbolism is there to help us realize we can't really describe how awesome Jesus is. Can I read down through those things and, and kind of maybe put some handles on him. I think the long robe would be indicative of majesty or of his, his value, his importance. All right? you, you, you wore a robe, and the more of your robe, and the bigger the robe, and the brighter, and the, all of that always indicated your worth and your value. The golden sash would have perhaps related to his, his priestly role. The white hair. Wisdom, perhaps, and purity, right? Solomon talked about don't, don't despise those gray-haired folks. They've got some wisdom to share with you. Wisdom and purity, perhaps, the snow and the wool. And then, it, then it gets a little weird, right? Eyes like fire. What? I, I would suspect, I, I would suggest to you that that has to do with him being fearsome with his judgment of sin, eyes of fire. I mean, I know what's going on, right? You're picturing this. You're picturing something you saw in a movie with some, some creature that had eyes of fire. They were never a good thing, right? That was always a fearsome thing. 
bronze feet, perhaps relating to being solid and stable. The stars, the stars in his right hand, speaking of his power, his voice like the roar of many waters. You've been to the ocean front, perhaps when the wind is really blowing and the surf is really crashing or been somewhere when you've just heard this immense, awesome sound of the rushing water. A two-edged sword. That just sounds scary, right? A two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Do you remember the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? When the kids, the girls were asking Mr. Beaver, is, is Aslan safe? And he laughed and said, safe? No, of course he's not safe. But he's good. I think this picture is of the, the power and the danger And he was shining like the sun. He's glorious. But here's what I want you to think about. We are accustomed to movie makers and producers depicting things in visual form. And when we put this in visual form, it sounds grotesque, right? It sounds like, what in the world is going on? I want you to think about the fact that it is there because it's, humans can't put into words how awesome Jesus is. He's actually borrowing terminology from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10 describes the Lord, and it is very similar language. And I think the same thing happened then. It was, it was impossible to put into actual words. What am I seeing here? I don't understand this. This makes no sense to me. I love that. I love that we can acknowledge this doesn't make sense to me. In fact, here's what one writer said about it. If we frankly admit the impossibility of this, of making sense of this image, we gain something more and deeper than a pictorial appeal to the imagination. We grasp what we cannot fathom. I love that sentence. We see this picture given to us, and it's hard to wrap our minds around it, but it helps us grasp what we can't fathom, namely the awesomeness of who Jesus is. He is not just a person who walked around on earth and befriended people and, and did miracles and told good stories. Jesus is awesome. He came back to life again, and he is awesome. Please don't miss the magnitude of who Jesus is. Don't let our return to life, we've gotten past the season of Easter, let's not go back to whatever it was before. Let's let the reality of the resurrection and the awesomeness of who Jesus is that took symbolism to even begin to picture for us who this was, let's let that really work with us. It's difficult, right? There's great difficulty in getting our minds wrapped around this. Let it be difficult. Let it be hard to see. Let it be difficult to understand just what he's saying. It helps us understand that it's really difficult to grasp how awesome Jesus is. Now, let me ask you this. If that happened to you, you're by yourself, you're hanging out, you're praying, 
you're in a, your closet or you're, some, and you're sitting in your living room and you're praying away. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and this is the best way you can think of to describe him. And that's, that person is standing behind you talking to you. What would you do? You'd probably pass out, right? You'd be scared out of your mind. Chapter 1 and verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. <laughs> that is exactly what would happen. That is not uncommonly what happened when people got a sense of the majesty of who Jesus was. Even the disciples, John being one of them, on the Mount of Transfiguration, they didn't fall over dead. But what did Peter say? Oh, this is amazing. Let's build some cottages and let's just stay right here. Right? When we get a handle on the awesomeness of who Jesus is, we need to remember the second thing. Jesus calms our fears. I love the next sentence. John says, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I love that. This incredible, awesome, beyond description, Lord of the universe put his hand on John's shoulder and said, don't be afraid. It's okay. Now, before I explain why and talk about what Jesus said as why, I just want to remind you, Jesus calms our fears. He does it for his church as a whole, and he does it for us as individuals. But let's look at, at for the church. Verses 19 and 20. Let's keep going for a second. Write, therefore, the things you've seen and those that are, uh, those that are and those that are to take place after this, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so if you're at all familiar with this, this revelation that John gave to us or that God gave to John, he's about to write letters to seven different churches in seven different provinces of Asia who are about to undergo significant persecution. It's going to get scary for them. They are going to be persecuted for their faith. They're going to lose their jobs. They're going to lose their families. They're going to perhaps be tortured for their faith. Some of them may be killed because they are willing to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. But Jesus, in having John write to them and write words of encouragement to these churches, Jesus is caring for his church. Because he loves his church. Ephesians 5.29 is in the midst of a passage of scripture that we use for marriage seminars and marriage counseling, right? Husbands do this, wives do this, you're supposed to do it, and these are the reasons. And it's a really amazing passage of scripture. And it gets to the end and Paul says... I know, I know, there's a lot here, but I'm talking about Jesus and his bride, the church. And Ephesians 5.29 instructs men, you are to cherish and nourish your wives even as Christ does the church. Now, newsflash, in case you weren't aware, the church is imperfect. 
Bigger newsflash, in case you hadn't noticed, that's because you're in it, <laughs> right? The church is imperfect because I'm here and I'm imperfect. We are broken still and in the process of growing to be like Jesus, but there is something that really annoys me, so please don't say it, at least out loud to me. I've talked with people who have said, oh, I really, I do, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Can I tell you something? Please don't waste your time by ever coming to me and saying, listen, I'd really love to hang out sometime because I really love you, but can, you, can we not have your wife come because I don't really like her. That's not going to go well. I'm not a violent guy, so you don't have to worry about me slapping you or anything, but, <laughs> but uh, we're not going to hang out. I, I'm sorry if for some reason you don't like my wife. It's probably because you don't know her in our case, but it... it when people say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, the church is the bride of Christ. He loves the church. He died for the church. He gave himself for the church, and he nourishes and cherishes the church. And he promised when he talked to Peter that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. We win, right? The church will be successful because Jesus loves the church. He calms our fears by cherishing and nourishing his church. But it's deeper than that, right? He calms our fears for us as believers. John is going to describe some things that are going to happen that are a little scary. And once he gets through talking to the churches, he's going to talk about what the end of time is like and what the righteous judge of the universe is going to be doing on earth. And it, it will present to us a side of God that we may just be a little bit uncomfortable with because we love to talk about the love of God. We forget that he's holy but Jesus' words calm us as they did John. You don't have to be afraid. Can I just read for you? I wrote down some verses. I don't have them on the screen in front of you. But in case you are personally fearful about something, which I'd have everybody raise their hands that had some fear about something, but pretty much all of us, so we're going to just assume that's true. But there may be something going on in your life that you're struggling with, and you're like, man, I just, I'm anxious about it. I know I should trust in the Lord. Can I just read you these verses to remind you that Jesus wants to calm your fears? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. Or forsake you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I got to editorialize on that. I'm kind of glad he didn't say he answered me and delivered me from all the negative circumstances I'm in. He delivered me from my fears. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said to his disciples. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, the writer to the Hebrews says, we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In the last verse, which you may be familiar with from 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Jesus is awesome. Jesus also calms our fears because he loves his church and he loves you, child of God. He cares for you. Then I want to go back. Uh, actually, we're going to take a quick stop in uh, John 10, but we're going to go back to Revelation 1, so don't lose your place there. We're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is God. I don't want you to ever get confused about who Jesus is. People may tell you, oh, he's a good teacher. He was a miracle worker. He was a wonderful example. He was a martyr. I don't want you to forget that even Jesus claimed more for himself than that. He said to the Pharisees, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus said, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. They knew exactly what he was claiming when he said, I and my Father are one. Jesus is God. And so he describes that for us here in Revelation chapter 1, beginning back in verse 17, Remember, John saw this awesome personage of Jesus and he fell at his feet dead and he laid his hand on him and said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. 
That's talking about his deity. That's a phrase reserved and used exclusively for God the Father in the Old Testament. The first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Those terms are used for God. Jesus, speaking to John in this vision that he has, says, I am the first and the last. Over and over in the Old Testament, Isaiah does it on several occasions, refers to God, Yahweh, as the first and the last. Perhaps something like this, Jesus is saying, I'm first through creation, I'm last through retribution. I'm first because before me a God was not formed and last because after me there is no other. First because all things are from me, last because all things are to me. First because I'm the cause of origin, last because I am the judge and the end of all things. Jesus is the first and the last. Do not make any mistake in your mind about it. Jesus himself claimed and it was true that he is God. If he was just a man, the resurrection doesn't matter. He was God come in the flesh. He's eternal. Number two, his eternality is what he talks about here. I was, I died. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. I died means I was alive, therefore I could die. And now I'm alive and I am that way forevermore. Not only was he alive, but he was eternally with God, was eternally God. John chapter 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Vitally important for us to remember. And later on in that chapter, it describes in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. He was already in existence before me. For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known. Jesus is God. He is God who came in the flesh from eternity past. He has existed. He is God. And he came here and he lived and he died and he paid the penalty for our sin and he was in the grave and he came back to life again and he is alive forevermore. His eternality. Eternity is a long, long time. The challenge of the reality that Jesus is eternally God has to cause us to think a little bit about what's going on with us, right? Did we just kind of come into this world and at some point we'll die and that's that and we just get this life? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that 
we are born into this world and we will continue to exist for all of eternity after physical death. So the question is always, where is that going to be? And that brings up the third thing that Jesus mentions about himself, and that's his authority. He says, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That speaks of his authority. I want you to consider your eternity this morning. If Jesus is this awesome, and if he's concerned enough about me as an individual that he's willing to calm my fears, how do I make sure that I will live eternally with him? Jody and I, for a a season of our lives, anticipated that we would serve the Lord as church planters in Australia. I almost used an illustration from there because we saw some pretty awesome things in Australia when we were there. We, uh, We heard stories about what was happening, and one of the stories we heard while we were there was a a gentleman that nobody even knows who he is that used to just go around and write the word eternity. People would walk along on the the sidewalk and it would be like, who put that there? Eternity. Over and over again, everywhere they went, they were finding it. And it wasn't like everybody was upset because it was was graffiti. It, It got people thinking. So much so that at the 2000, remember Y2K? When the fireworks went off in Sydney, we had friends in Australia at the time, and of course, they're way ahead, so we wrote them real quick. So did it happen? Was it really bad? Nothing happened, and so we were okay. But but across the famed coat hanger bridge, which goes across the Sydney Harbor, as they did the fireworks display for 2000, was the word eternity. It made such an impact in that nation, just the word eternity that they included it in their national celebration for the first of the year. Eternity is something most of us don't think about. I I talk to people now and then uh, as it surrounds a a funeral or something like that, and I'm, I'm really shocked at how often people tell me, I don't know, I just didn't ever think about it. Really? Listen, I want you to think about the fact you get a funeral I get a funeral. We all get one of those. Physical life will come to an end. For some of us, it it happens earlier than we anticipated and that our families anticipated. For some of us, we get to live a long, healthy life. But it doesn't matter how long we live physically. At some point in time, we're going to die and we're going to enter eternity. Jesus is there. What's going to happen Let me tell you this. You don't want to enter eternity unprepared. Because you don't get to go back and say, shoot, if I had just listened to what that preacher said, right? if I had just listened to what my neighbor told me. Jesus told a story of a man who died and went to what was called Abraham's bosom at the time. And uh, he he was a rich guy and he thought everything was good and he, he was separated from God and 
he got there and, and the Lazarus, this other fellow, not the one we talked about last week, a different guy, he was a poor beggar. He's the one that went to Abraham's bosom. And this rich guy looked across this chasm and said, Would, could you please just send him to dip his finger in some water and drop it on my tongue? He said, sorry, there's a great chasm. I, he can't come across there. He said, would you at least send him back to tell my family? They'll surely believe if somebody comes back from the dead. If you're sitting here today, I'm here to remind you, Jesus really did come back from the dead. Somebody came back from the dead. But he didn't just come back to haunt you or to bring you a message. He came back to affect your, the possibility of your being saved from your sin, being made righteous in the sight of God. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live. He died on the cross paying the penalty for the sin of all those who would believe in him. He was in the tomb, and on the third day, he literally came back to life again. Those are the facts of the gospel. How do I get that? How do I get ready for eternity? I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. I, I acknowledge that I can't get to heaven on my own because I'm a sinner. I believe in those facts of the gospel, and I receive Jesus. John 1.14, to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. Jesus is awesome. The risen Christ is awesome. It ought to strike some fear into us. A little bit of holy fear would be a really good thing, right? But he also calms our fears because he cares so deeply for us. But he's God. He is deity. He is eternal. He has authority. And you don't get to go to heaven apart from him. No man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. So we come to the week after Easter and we remember how awesome Jesus is. Can I give you two things that I want you to remember? I want to encourage you to worship the risen, awesome Jesus. When we come here to worship, we're not just coming in a building to sing some really cool songs, to listen to some great musicians, to hopefully hear uh, some guy that put together a sermon worth listening to. We're, we're here to worship the risen Jesus. We meet on Sunday morning on the first day of the week in honor and celebration of the fact that Jesus rose on the first day of the week. That's why we meet on Sundays. Why not Tuesday evening? Because Jesus came to life again on the first day of the week, and we honor that every time we meet together. It ought to infuse our worship with something, right? to remember how awesome Jesus is. If you've never trusted in Jesus, man, I, okay, if I put a little bit of the fear of God in you, I'm okay with that. But I really just want you to know, Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin. You don't have to achieve something to be saved. You have to trust in what Jesus achieved. You have to believe in him. Man, write it on your connect card that I talked about earlier. I want to, there's a little check mark on the one side. I want to know more about accepting a relationship with Jesus. We'll contact you this week. I would love to talk to you about it. There are going to be people down front here to pray. Whatever your prayer need, if you've got something you just want somebody to encourage you about, pray with you about, come on up here. If you want to talk about how to, how to trust in Christ and what exactly that means, man, come on down. 
Let them talk with you. That's why they're here. And then secondly, serve the risen, awesome Jesus. Listen, we're on you. I mentioned children's ministry. We got all sorts of things. We need people on security. We need ushers. We're going to need people as parking attendants before long. We need lots of things done around here, but please don't do it because I ask. Do it because you want to serve the risen, awesome Christ. And he has given us the privilege and honor of serving him. What an amazing thing. Jesus is awesome. We're going to sing again. The team's going to come back. We're going to sing and and lift up his name before we go together. I hope what we've talked about will help infuse our worship just a little bit, all right? But I'm going to pray, and then they're going to lead us. Uh, Let's talk to the Lord. Father in heaven, we're honored that we even get to talk to you. We do that because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished. Lord, I can only come to you not because I'm a a pastor or some sort of religious leader, but because at some point in my life, in my case as a kid, I recognized I was a sinner and I believed in the gospel and I received Jesus. And because of that, I can come boldly to you. And Father, I come to you this morning thankful for what you have done thankful for what you are doing here in this church thankful for all of the faces I see here this morning and Lord I don't even recognize all of them and so I don't even know where they stand before you but Lord I pray first of all for the one or more that might be here or might be listening to us online might be watching the service right now or watching it in recorded form later this week Lord I pray that that person will come to a point where they recognize they cannot get to heaven on their own. They're a sinner. They're separated from you, that they will repent of their sin, believe in the gospel, and receive Jesus. Lord, grant us the joy of talking to them even today. And then, Father, I pray for the rest of us that are here. It's so easy for us to become complacent. We're so accustomed to going to church. Lord, may it be new and fresh to us. May the worship of the awesome, risen Christ change how we live even in our day-to-day lives may we worship as we walk through our days and may we give you glory for for now and on through eternity for we ask in jesus name amen